Well, you've ever said to yourself lately, boy, can you possibly believe it's June already? Doesn't it seem like school was just beginning a few weeks ago? And now, parents, you get all the little chitlins around you all day long, don't you, you lucky folks? Well, or maybe you say, can this possibly be her sixth birthday already? Seems like only yesterday she was in diapers. Last week, we celebrated our youngest grandchildren, their twin girls, and guess how old they are? Six. Six, that can't possibly be. They just were in diapers. But nope, they're little, little young ladies already. Just that time goes and goes and goes. Now, if I were to go around the room this morning and, and uh, talk to you uh, older members of the congregation, I suspect I would hear the same response from most of you, such as, boy, have the years flown by quickly. I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Boy, time seems to gallop fast, doesn't it? Faster and faster and faster. I know when you're a kid, it doesn't seem like it. But by golly, it does. From birth until death, we're simply passing through this world. Uh, in the scope of the universe, we are a pilgrim people that is passing through. And therefore, we would like to capture the magic moments in the lives of our children and hold on to them. That's one of the things we're doing today with the blanket blessing. Last night, we recognized seven of the graduates, and today, several of them will be able to be here. Some of them are being kids nowadays. They're all over the halfway around the world doing all kinds of different things. But they're going to be here, and we thank them for it to help us celebrate their passage, these magic moments, transitions in life. We want to hold on to those, and that's great. But life seems to keep moving, doesn't it? Pretty soon you've had 55 years of marriage, Linda. Okay, it happens every year. Yeah. It can be frightening because we have a need for stability. We all do. We have a craving for something that doesn't change in, in this changing world and environment that we find ourselves in. Something we can depend on day after day. Wow, my friends, as you have no doubt learned, this world can't provide that security. Doesn't take much to look at any news piece, whatever source that you get it from, to just kind of shake your head and going, oy vey, how'd that happen? I mean, the world can, can offer fleeting beauty, and that's true. I mean, it's beautiful. We've been working in the woods, Jenny and I, working in the, with the flowers and the trees and sitting out and listening to the birds and going, ah, isn't this wonderful? But we know that pretty soon those leaves are going to fall and the weeds are going to take over. Our things are going to rust and wear out. Maybe it's a brief momentary bit of fame, recognition of some kind. Boy, how quickly those things pass away. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> uh, well, fortunately, we as Christians, those of us here this morning, we have something that can calm us in our unsettled and ever-changing lives. We have a personal God, a God who is changeless. God, who is the same, how does that go? Yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. Now, I'm guessing that the bulk of us here this morning, we hear that, we go, yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty basic, pretty ordinary. I've heard it all my life. Mm -hmm. If you've grown up as a Christian, doesn't it? And we say, well, yeah, of course, there's a loving and caring and all-powerful God. I've known that all my life. Everybody knows and accepts that, right? Hmm, you watching the news at all? You listening to what's being taught in schools? 
I'm convinced that more and more folks today don't think or believe like you. You guys, and myself included, we're weird. You feel weird? You are. The way the world lives today, we're weird. They look at us and going, man alive, are you guys out of touch with reality? And what's the reality they're referring to? Themselves, actually. Because there seems to be an ever-increasing number of folks that gravitating to the point of view which sees themselves as the ultimate basis for all truth and decision-making. If I don't think it's true, it's not true. These folks tend to think in terms of no absolute truths, no absolute power, no absolute right or wrong, no consistent or unchangeable truths other than themselves. How that plays out in our lives is a couple of things I want to be doing. Jenny and I were talking this morning. I want to do a sermon about sin sometime in the future. Not today. But where has sin gone? Sin's not a popular concept. They don't even know what it is, much of the world today. But as a result of this focus on ourselves as the ultimate truth, the notion of God, any God for that matter, is simply not real for more and more folks. It sounds strange to us sitting here, doesn't it? No God? Oh, come on. All you have to do is look around, see the stars and the trees and the birds and, and how the sun moves and all these different things. You go, well, of course there's a God. Mm-mm. That's not how much of the world sees things right now. In fact, many of these folks with this mindset tend to think in terms of controlling the, to placate folks, to keep the common folks, the weaker-minded ones in line, and follow their orders. Therefore, they have a God. But we, intellectuals, the no-God crowd, don't think so. Not think so. They know so because they make the rules. Folks cling to the notion that any truth, intelligent and thinking person, couldn't possibly believe there's anything ultimate, especially God. Wow, you depressed again? I'm doing well with the depression today. I mean, no wonder there's so much depression and unhappiness and suicides and upheaval all around us. We hear it all the time. Because more and more folks are simply making up their own rules and standards as they see fit. And how is that going right now as a society? Not very well, is it? Well, let me say it again, my friends. We are fortunate as Christians. You're weird, and I thank you for it. Don't change that. You are a unique, a special group. Because you have something, or more accurately, someone who can calm us in our unsettled and ever-changing life. We have a God, a God, a real God, real, who's changeless, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what else about this God, this real God? He loves you. And he says, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my family. I love you. Incredible. People searching for love today looking in all the wrong places, as some of those songs tell us. And God says, I got you. You're mine. Incredible. Well, this weekend, what are we celebrating as a nation? At least I hope many folks are. Father's Day. And Father's Day is a good time to remind ourselves that we do have a very real and a very loving and caring Heavenly Father. Abba, he's called. Daddy. That's the endearing term. Abba means daddy. That's what it means. So we're saying, hey, daddy. And we're talking about God. Woo. So Father's Day is a good time to remind ourselves of our responsibility as, as children of him, of parents, fathers, and mothers.
but especially fathers this day, as we look at our responsibility to be that loving, caring, earthly father to our families. Now, being a loving and caring father is no easy task. It's not for wimps. You're not going to cut it if you think you're just going to float through without some efforts. We need all the help we can get, right? One of the reasons why you and I sit here each week, why we come to Bible class, I hope you do, by doing your devotions, those are ways that we can help enhance our jobs as parents, especially as fathers. So this morning, being Father's Day as a nation thing, I'd like to talk especially to all the fathers in church today, and those of you watching online as well, about what it takes to be the kind of father that God would have us be, to look at the resources we have, of which we have plenty, for us to accomplish our task. So to start out with, I'm going to say, dads, those of you especially who are here today, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being the men of integrity and honor that you are. Perfect? No, we'll talk about that. But you are somebody special doing your thing. Thank you. And as if you're going to continue to be successful or get successful in your goal to be a godly father for your family, the very first thing is this. You've got to take seriously your role and responsibility as head of the home. You can't say, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter Whatever is the famous word that we use today. Whatever. No, uh-uh, Dad. Fathers, God has entrusted you, you, with the awesome task of being a spiritual leader to your family. Now, some guys do pretty good with that role. Others don't. But you see, how we feel about that responsibility doesn't change God's directive. Ephesians 5.23 says it this way. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. We're going to talk about that comparison. And then in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, bring up your children in the training and instruction of the world, of society, of culture, Mm-mm. in the instruction of the Lord. So, guys, just so you don't get too big of a head, notice also in this same text the command on how you are to lead. Yes, you're the head of the house. How are you supposed to do it? How do you lead? Well, it's definitely not by bullying and demanding and said, I'm bigger, stronger, I'm going to make you. Mm-mm, doesn't work. How? Following the example of our Heavenly Father, more specifically of Jesus. The text says how in verses 5.25. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. You catch that connection? He loved them. Not just a feeling, but what did he do? Gave up himself for her. Man, dads, awesome responsibility. You're to lead with love, just as Christ loved. And how did Christ love? Well, he put aside all selfishness, didn't he? All self-centeredness, all the me-first desires and demands, and gave up everything he had to provide and protect for his loved ones. What were our texts read this moment, this morning, just moments ago, about how Jesus sent out the disciples, and what did they do? They healed, they cared, they, they spent time with people. Because that's how you do. You give up to protect his loved ones. Jesus sacrificed himself for her, even died for her. Now, talk about giving. Wow. So, Dad, your task is a very serious one and eternally important one. And it's this, to keep your families focused on things heavenly. Our faith in Jesus and love for God is the focus we want our families to have. And how is the primarily doing that? Not that hard. By example, here's a statistic to help back that up. 
study of church attendance patterns, this was sometimes back, but there's still a lot of truth in it, made an interesting discovery. If both mom and dad attended church regularly, okay, 72% of their children remained faithful to the church. Yeah, good thing. But here's the kicker. If only mom attended the church regularly and dad didn't, the number dropped to 15% who remained faithful. How's that for scary? Dad? Hmm. What does that tell you about the impact you have on your children and family? You see, it does matter. It does matter what you do, what you say, what you think. It matters how you take care of your body, what you put in it. It does matter how you treat people. Why? <laughs> Those little guys are watching you, aren't they? And your children listen to, your, to what you are saying. You wouldn't think so, right? You'd swear they didn't hear a thing you said, but they do. And you know what else? They follow your lead. Are you shaking in your boots yet? Let me say it again, dads. You're doing a great job, those of you here this day. I'm very proud of you and thankful for you and want to encourage you to continue to keep doing those good things. Well, I came across a little poem I thought was pretty good. It was about fatherly leadership. And here's what it said. To get his goodnight kiss, he stood beside my chair one night and raised an eager face to me, a face with love alight. And as I gathered in my arms the son God gave to me, I thanked the lad for being good and hoped he'd always be. His little arms crept around my neck, and then I heard him say four simple words I can't forget, four words that made me pray. They turned a mirror in my soul. On secrets no one knew. They startled me. I heard them yet. He said, I will be like you. Wow. What an awesome, wonderful role we have to fill, dads. And I'm very proud and thankful for you guys here today for the jobs you're doing. Keep it up. Your families need you. Our culture needs you because you are crucial to a healthy and well-balanced family unit, both on an individual basis and for our culture as a whole. And if you're absent or not carrying out your role and function as God intended, your whole family unit is out of whack. You'll be out of balance and will suffer. And the reality is, as our family units go in our country, and we're seeing the effect right now, sad to say, as our family units go, so goes our nation. You're important to your kids. You're important to your spouse. You're important to society as a whole. Good job, dads. Keep it up. Now, having said all that, I also want to be encouraged by the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect father this side of heaven. Whew. I'm glad to hear that. Because all of us, and I definitely include myself in that number, make mistakes, blunders, poor choices at times in our roles as fathers and husbands. Yeah, not proud of it. But it's true, I know that. And therefore, I want to, and more importantly, God wants to reassure you that even though we may not be that perfect father and husband, that our God's he still watches over us and forgives our mistakes, our blunders, and sin. And he still loves us. And even more importantly, he still uses us. You can't just say, I, I'm blowing it. I'm not good. I'm not going to bother doing it. Uh-uh. He still uses you to represent him with our family. He still directs to pick up that torch of father and strive to carry out our God-given task. We're to use the gifts and abilities God has given you to carry out your role in a loving and God-focused fashion came across a little article that I thought was a great example of how important these roles are 
and it's uh, in a book by C.R. Snyder, and the book is entitled The Psychology of Hope. And he talks about an interesting and revealing phenomenon he noticed about the significance of parental leadership, of how you do it, and the impact it can have. And what he observed, he was on two separate airplane trips, and wasn't doing necessarily intentionally, but as he's looking around, he watched, and the first ride that he took, he saw Jenny and her mom. And Snyder judged Jenny, the little girl, to be about 30 months old. She was taking her first airplane ride. Wow! Well, mom described the loud engine noises that take off to Jenny and how they would be pushed back in their seats. And I'll hold your hand, mom reassured. Jenny and mom were both excited and, and shattered away through the entire flight. Just, just all kinds of things going on. Mom enjoyed how Jenny experienced things for the first time. She even took Jenny for a walk up and down the aisle. And all the while answering her questions as a 30-month-old would do, pointing out things. Well, Jenny got scared when the landing gear came down. You know what that is? You hear it? But her mom comforted her with a big hug and an explanation as to what was going on. Well, Jenny and her mom were obviously and clearly connected. They trusted each other. And they had a, they had a great time. It was a good flight. Then Snyder went to the other extreme. Different plane ride. And he went to also another interaction between parent and child. This time it's little Teddy. He's three years old. And mom put Teddy in the seat next to her fastened his seatbelt and said, now you just sit there and be quiet. Mommy's going to sleep, which she did. Well, Teddy was obedient. His big eyes, looking around, his trembling little hands, revealed his fear at several points in the flight because he didn't know what was going on. Well, Mom was oblivious to what was happening in Teddy's mind. If for the things that Teddy wanted... No one would know because he had to sit quietly, and he did throughout the entire flight. No words, no touches exchanged. Teddy didn't share whatever his thoughts he had about that he wanted to do or to learn. In many ways, he was flying alone. Well, Snyder draws the conclusion about parenting styles and things that are going on. You think about little Teddy, doesn't that make you wonder how many children in our culture today are flying alone through life? without mom or dad being there for them. Kind of chilling when you think about it. It does point out, however, how vitally important the role of parent, both father and mother, are in life. You see, no matter how many physical or social advantages you give your kids, you can give them all kinds of stuff. And by golly, we got stuff all over the place today. The most important advantage that you can give to your kids is your undivided attention. Well, God has set the standard and set the example for us, hasn't he? What did he do? What's Christmas all about? It's God, awesome, powerful God, setting aside his godness to become one of us on that earth on Christmas. God became man. The word became flesh and dwelt us, as St. John tells us. Jesus, as we're going to say in just a moment, very God, a very God, one with the Father, as the creed reminds us. Jesus became one of us. He gave, up, he gave us his total and undivided attention while here in our world and in our lives. And he loved so much that he made the, to understand that he wanted to understand firsthand all of our problems, all of our sorrows, and all of the temptations, and all of our joys, which he did. And then to prove just how great his love for us is, what did he do? He died in payment for our sins. He died not because of his sin. He didn't have any. 
He died for the sins of mankind, died for your sins and mine. Jesus' final death on that cross 2,000 years ago, ultimate sacrifice for you and me. Because Jesus died, what? We have our promise that our slates are wiped clean in God's eyes, our sins are forgiven, we're guaranteed a spot with him in heaven forever because of it. How's that for loving attention? Doesn't get any better than that. That's the role model we want. A very famous actor, at least for you older crowd, this guy. Who is he? Kurt Douglas. Look at that dimple in his chin, right? Well, he wrote in his autobiography, called it The Son of a Ragman. And in it, he talks about his growing up years with parents who recently immigrated from Russia. And he recalled in his book how his mother was warm and supportive as she did her best to adjust to a new country. But Kurt also remembers his dad as a stern and untrusting and strict and cold. He wasn't used to giving words of encouragement or a pat on the back or a hug to his kids. His father remained distant, very private. But then Douglas, as he tells his story in his book, he talks about his dad. He said, one evening at school, the young Kurt Douglas had a major role speaking, dancing, singing in a play. I knew his mom would be there, but seriously doubted that his father would go. But to his amazement and surprise, about halfway through the program, he caught view of his dad standing in the back of the auditorium. About halfway through the program, he saw dad. And after completing the evening's program, he wanted his father to come up and say, way to go, son, proud of you, you did a good job. But he didn't, true to fashion. His father wasn't able to say much, and he didn't. But, and here's the punchline, dad asked instead, he asked his young son if he'd like to stop and get a five-cent ice cream cone after the show. Ooh. Well, Kurt Douglas reflected back over all his awards, and he had many, Oscars and otherwise. He said he prized that five-cent ice cream cone even more than his Oscar. It was not the cone, of course. What was it? The attention from the dad that he loved. That's what counted. So how does that apply to you and me, dads? You can use by almost any measure you want to about speaking of success. You can measure it in fancy homes. They're nice. Expensive cars. They're good. Handsome clothes. Oh, yeah. But the measure of your real success is the one you can't spend. You can't buy. It's the way your son, your daughter describes you when he's talking to a friend. Wrap things up here with an experience that happened to Hilding Helverson. He's a, he's a singer. And this is what he said. I thought it was pretty good. He said, when my son was a small boy playing with his buddies in the backyard, I overheard them talking, and the conversation was amusingly one of those, my dad can whip your dad routines. Remember those? And Halverson says, well, I heard one boy proudly say, well, my dad knows the governor of the state. <laughs> Wondering what was coming next in the program of bragging, I heard the voice of my son say, that's nothing. My dad knows God. He said, I quietly slipped away from my place of eavesdropping with tears running down my cheeks. And I dropped on my knees in my room and prayed earnestly and gratefully, oh God, I pray that my boy will always be able to say, my dad knows God. Father's Day today, guys. I hope and pray that as we men gather for worship, our kids and all the kids of the church family will be able to say, my dad knows God, and I'm proud of dad. Amen.